The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of the Veritas Show, where we bring a disclosure, one guest at a time, and I really mean it. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members. As always, you are keeping Veritas alive. Also, another big thank you to those of you who are buying truth certificates for others and also those of you who are donating subscriptions to the less fortunate. And I have a few free subscriptions that I would like to assign. However, first, we are in need of people to transcribe our shows. I will give you a three-month subscription to the show if you are 100% able and qualified to transcribe. Visit the free subscription link on our website, veritasshow.com. Now, if you cannot transcribe and are genuinely unable to purchase a subscription, I want to hear from you. Send me an email to donations at veritasshow.com with a compelling essay. I will put you on the list as free subscriptions are donated. Just go to veritasshow.com for more information. Tonight's special guest is a multifaceted person who has done hundreds of radio and TV shows and can discuss almost every important topic. Remember Dr. Rani Kildis' show? Well, you could call tonight's show almost a continuation. We'll be discussing the hazards of cell phone in children, 
harp, mind control, data mining by private companies, invasion of privacy, and much more. Dr. Nick Begich will be with us shortly. And with the upcoming holidays, don't forget that you can make a difference in someone's life. If you have been listening to the show for some time, I would hope that you have awakened to new realities. You can do the same for others. Give the gift of truth. Truth certificates available for three, six months, and one year. I guarantee it. This gift won't be put away forever. They will get access to all our past, present, and future shows, the Magic or Forum, and our exclusive Veritas chat room. And speaking of our chat room, we had a superb chat last week with Dr. Judy Wood. It was another two-hour show with lots of questions from those of you who attended. And since Veritas is an international show and some of you with time differences could not attend, that's okay. The chat is now playing inside the Veritas vault in the Manticore forum. If you think Dr. Wood's show was revealing, listen to the chat and get ready for more. I want to thank Dr. Wood for a great show once again, for being a Manticore Forum member, and for a great chat. And also thanks to those of you around the world who were able to participate in the last chat. We'll do this once a month. And I just heard that Cliff High from Half Past Human has released the latest Alta report. You know what happens when he releases his newest Alta. People start contacting me asking when Cliff will be back on the show. Since we're privileged to have a direct connection with Cliff, I have sent Cliff a request to appear in the show very soon. So keep visiting our website for updates. His last appearance in September was such an explosive show, and I look forward to discussing the newest report with him. This is a great time to be a member. Did you know that someone submitted a request to patent a full-body teleportation system? The abstract says, this invention is a system that teleports a human being through hyperspace from one location to another using a pulsed gravitational wave traveling through hyperspace. This is not a joke, folks. This was actually filed in the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And if you want to look for it, it was filed on April 6, 2006. And its application number is 200-600-71122. Check it out. Coincidentally, the inventor lives just minutes away from my former residence in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Maybe I need to send someone over so we can chat. Maybe he can teleport to the studio. I'll let you know. Researchers show brainwaves can write on a computer in early tests. Neuroscientists at the Mayo Clinic campus in Jacksonville, Florida, have demonstrated how brain waves can be used to type alphanumerical characters on a computer screen, but merely focusing on the Q in a matrix of letters. For example, that Q appears on the monitor. Researchers say these findings, presented at the 2009 annual meeting of the American Epilepsy Society, represent concrete progress toward a mind-machine interface that may, one day, help people with a variety of disorders control devices, such as prosthetic arms and legs. These disorders include Lou Gehrig's disease and spinal cord injuries, among many others. Amino acid recipe could be right for long life. In fruit flies, a low-calorie diet with extra amounts of methionine extends lifespan without harming fertility. 
Long life may stand for a proper imbalance of dietary nutrients. A new study in fruit flies suggested that the life-extending properties of caloric restriction may be due not only to fewer calories in the diet, but also to just the right mix of protein-building blocks, called amino acids. The study, published online December the 2nd in Nature, may help explain some of the health benefits of restricted calorie diets. Coupled with other data, the new study should prompt researchers to reevaluate whether it is calorie count or the nutrient composition of a diet that is most important for regulating lifespan and health, comments Luigi Fontana of Washington University in St. Louis. And to get in touch with me with questions or comments, simply send an email to mail, that's M-E-L, at veritasshow.com and visit our website for updates. Remember, my interaction with you does not end with the show. It only begins. Join me at the Manticore Forum and find out why it's considered one of the most polite, intelligent, and inclusive forums in the world. And now, get ready to reaffirm what you already have suspected. Hazards of cell phones in children. What is HARP? What are companies like Google and Facebook doing to your privacy? What are insurance companies considering before they issue your policy? What is being done to control your mind? and much more. If you want to believe, stop this audio now. If you really want to know, don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Great music you hear right here on The Veritas Show is supplied by the independent artists from Jamendo.com. If you hear a song you like, go over to our homepage, VeritasShow.com, click on the guest, look up the song, and download it. You can even buy the group's CDs, in many cases right there at Jamendo.com. This is Dr. David Jacobs, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Dr. Nick Begich serves as Executive Director of the Lay Institute on Technology, Inc., a Texas nonprofit corporation. He is also the publisher and co-owner of Earth Pulse Press, Incorporated, an Alaska-based organization. Dr. Begich is the eldest son of the late United States Congressman from Alaska, Nick Begich Sr., and political activist Peggy Begich. He is well known in Alaska for his own political activities. He was twice elected president of both the Alaska Federation of Teachers and the Anchorage Council of Education. He has been pursuing independent research in the sciences and politics for most of his adult life. In 1994, Begich received his doctorate in traditional medicine from the Open International University for Complementary Medicines. He co-authored with Gene Manning the book Angels Don't Play This Harp, Advances in Tesla Technology. Begich has also authored Earth Rising 1 and 2, both with the late James Roderick. He has published articles in science, politics, and education, and is a well-known lecturer, having presented throughout the United States and in 19 countries. 
He has been featured as a guest on thousands of radio broadcasts reporting on his research activities, including new technologies, health, and earth science-related issues. He has also appeared on dozens of television documentaries and other programs throughout the world, including BBC TV, CBC TV, and Telemundo. And tonight, we'll be discussing many topics, but mostly mind control, the ultimate brave new world, technologies for stimulating the brain and controlling the mind can have benefits, but they have a dark side that military intelligence planners have been exploiting for decades. And to bring the necessary expertise directly from Alaska, one of the leading people in the country who talks about the technologies of political control and what is being used to control the human mind, Dr. Nick Begich. Hello, Dr. Begich. Thank you for joining us and welcome to The Veritas Show. How are you? I'm doing great, and thank you very much for having me. I'm sure we'll have an excellent uh, program for your listeners tonight. Absolutely. We look forward to it, and it's a pleasure. Dr. Begich, there is so much that you have researched, and so much I want to talk about that I want to let you know, and the audience, that to get to right to the point and talk about the topics, I want to talk about HARP, I want to talk about mind control, the internet, telepathy, and whatever is relevant. But for the sake of those listeners around the world who may not be familiar with you, can you please give us a background about yourself first? Well, certainly. Um, by, by way of background in, in terms of technology areas, I have been uh, pursuing uh, areas in science uh, all of my adult life. I'm, I'm 51 now, and for the last 15 years, have been um, uh, writing and publishing um, in technology areas, I've been an expert witness for the European Parliament and other legislative bodies on technology issues. I've written uh, five books that are now in seven languages uh, on technology areas. Um, the, air, the areas we're going to be discussing today are some of the ones that principally come up. I've um, been on probably 2,500 or more radio broadcasts in the last 15 years, uh, dozens of radio uh, and television uh, documentaries. Uh, dealing with technology areas, um, and I have a doctorate in traditional and complementary medicines and a political background. Uh, my uh, father was a United States congressman. My brother is currently a United States senator. Um, here in Alaska, it's a relatively small uh, community of people, but um, I travel and have lectured in 19 countries and um, in probably 20 or 20 or 30 states by now. Um, again, primarily on technology areas uh, and energy uh, issues are the predominant issues that we talk about. Most impressive. It, let me start by letting the audience know that I get a lot of email, especially from mothers with children, asking me about cell phones. Because we recently had Dr. Rauni Kilde from former chief medical officer of Finland on the show, who now resides in Norway. And she was telling me of all the dangers that cell phones, cell phone use have. And she was mentioning how a French child was begging for a cell phone. And the child said that there was only one child in school who did not have a cell phone. And that child was the son of a director from Nokia. What does that tell you? Well, you know, cell phone issues have been around for, for quite a while. I published an article uh, back in, um, I believe it was 1999, uh, with uh, Explorer Magazine, which is well uh, recognized around the world. It used to be uh, also affiliated with Rahm and Zeit, which is one of the more uh, technical ma uh, magazines in Germany. Uh, the issue of cell phone safety is also addressed in, in one of my books, Earth Rising 2. We dedicate about a quarter of that book to the cell phone issues. Um, and it goes back uh, a number of years, back to the late 90s, when there were um, folks making assertions that uh, brain tumors 
uh, were being caused by uh, cell phones. Uh, that uh, created quite a stir in Washington, D.C., which uh, the Congress then uh, forced uh, the industry to spend $25 million on a study uh, to look at cell phone safety. And they, they um, commissioned that study. And the person that ran it was a guy named Dr. George Carlo. And, and Dr., uh, Dr. Carlo, when he completed the five-year study and issued his report, um, he made several several things uh, clear to the industry, and yet the industry took his report, turned it upside down, which incensed Carlo. And um, after receiving $25 million, uh, in grant money to pursue the issue for five years, he actually published a book um, on cell phones and addressed the issue specifically with children. And what he said was that, the number one, the mechanism for tumor formation, he believed, was the breakdown in the blood-brain barrier when a microwave signal was placed uh, close to the head, causing a slowdown of the repair of the DNA structures within uh, the body. And as a consequence, a tumor formation uh, would be triggered. And what he said about children is, at five years old, approximately 400% more energy transits the skull into the brain of a child. At 10 years old, 200% more uh, than an adult uh, transits um, the brain and, 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 and creates those, those kinds of problems. And the kinds of problems that are reported uh, in major studies, in fact, one involving Scandinavian countries done uh, in the late 90s involving 15,000 people, which is statistically an important number, uh, and, what, and what they found is 50% of the people that use cell phones for over an hour experience things like loss of short-term memory, uh, interruption with eating habits, uh, reduction in um, ability to concentrate and focus their attention, heating behind the ears, and a number of other uh, problems. And, of course, you can see uh, even more energy being transmitted to, transmitted to children would create huge problems in, in great Britain, every year before school starts, the um, public is warned to not allow children under 16 um, to use uh, cell phones uh, because as they're developing, again, they believe that there's uh, problems there. The German health ministry also issued warnings not just on cell phones but on wireless generally within public schools. Um, and, and the thing about the Europeans is they approach these issues under what's called the precautionary principle, which they apply to environmental and health issues and have for over 35 years. And what that principle says is instead of waiting for three empirical studies to come out and confirm something, as soon as the first information is available, the public is made aware under this principle of precaution to allow the public to make better decisions about the use of technologies. And in 35 years where this has been applied to environmental and health issues, the European community have never once been wrong. And the same applies for cell phone safety. Carrying a little further, Lloyds of London will not underwrite the risks associated with electromagnetic field effects from cell phones. And a major organization called Swiss Reinsurance in Switzerland, which does studies for various components of the insurance industry, issued a report called Electrosmog, again in the um, early part of this decade or the late 90s, in which they advised the insurance industry to not under risk, underwrite any risks associated with electromagnetic exposures, uh, particularly with cell phones, because their view was in the long run, as the evidence was building, uh, it could potentially bankrupt the insurance industry because of the claims that would result. And when insurers won't insure, and they... You know, they don't wait for all the evidence to come in. They're measuring risk. And if insurance companies won't take the risk, particularly with children, 
uh, we shouldn't be taking that risk either. It's so funny that you mentioned Lloyds of London because I always talk about the insurance companies. It's the fine art of managing risk, folks. And if you if you think this is just conspiracy theory, folks, as Dr. Begich mentioned, just go to any insurance company. Lloyds of London, they, they virtually underwrite anything, but will not touch this with a 10-foot pole. So right. is the industry doing something preemptively? in preparation to what may coming, be coming ahead as it relates to legal cases that may ensue, are they working to redesign the equipment to reduce the levels of radiation they emit? Absolutely. In fact, they've issued, um, uh, last time I checked, there were 12 patents issued to cell phone companies to reduce uh, the radiation coming off of the phones and to make them safer. Well, at the same time, they maintain to the public that they are safe. They have stopped studies that showed physiological effects of cell phones. A Ross Addy study for Motorola was one in a case in point. And Ross was um, uh, Dr. Addy was one of the one of the principal people in these in these issues, um, going back a number of years. Uh, he is an expert uh, in the field. is used by government, uh, private companies. Uh, he's passed away uh, now, but I can tell you. Um, any health effects, he would put the cell phone under FDA control, and then they would have to prove uh, that it was not uh, creating a harm as a device. And so these are very important issues. And the fact that the industry is, is essentially doing, um, in, in my opinion, the same thing the tobacco industry did, is hiding the evidence, hoping it goes away. Uh, at the end of the day, they need to be held fully responsible and culpable. The other area of litigation potential is third-party litigation where employers as a condition of employment are creating a situation where people have to use these devices um, and, and again you know that's going to create a wave uh, I believe a wave of workers compensation uh, claims downstream as these um, as the science continues to prove up what many of us have been asserting now for well over a decade uh, the other thing I, I would say about uh, the cell phone issue is I have a article. It's free. It's posted on my website. It has, I believe, 90 citations of studies uh, and covering the information we've just covered in this few minutes. And so people can go to that website and pull that article, just do a search on cell phones and you'll find it, um, and take a look. And then get that circulated to people. It's free. Pass it around. Just make sure uh, people have a chance to look at it because there are some things and they're mentioned there that people can do to mitigate the problems associated with cell phones. And we, you mentioned the tobacco industry. We all remember the legal wars that ensued a few years ago with the tobacco companies when they were claiming that cigarettes didn't cause cancer. So are we going to see the same happening in the future with cell phone companies? I think we are. And those, um, I mean, when you, when you look at the, the case in point you just raised was the only kid in school is uh, on the board of directors of Nokia uh, right. and he can't have a cell phone. Uh, that ought to tell us all something uh, very loudly. And, and in fact, uh, people ask me all the time, well, well, you're a busy guy. Do you use a cell phone? And the answer is no. Um, I don't have a cell phone service. Um, I can tell you the rare instances where a cell phone is ever around me is when I travel. I take once I have kids at home, but it, no one has the number except my children. And it rings maybe twice a year. And that's, um, that's it. I don't buy regular service. I go put 10 bucks on it and, and take off. I found that as busy as I am, most things can wait a few moments until uh, I get to a regular landline. Um, and, you know, as, as the technology improves, um, I'll take another look at it. But at this point, um, I do believe in the precautionary principle. I think it serves uh, our interest uh, better 
uh, than uh, industry telling us everything is wonderful as a fight uh, every report that comes out to the contrary. It's, there's such a parallel here with uh, cigarettes and cell phones. You remember the bartenders, they had to endure uh, breathing smoke all night long while they were working, and now you have the no-smoking bans everywhere. Now, here, you mentioned the road warriors. In the United States, folks, we call the salespeople and people on the road in the corporate world road warriors. Those people are talking on the phone all day long. And we, we talk about, uh, I forgot, uh, O.J. Simpson's uh, Johnny Cochran, who, who died, and uh, his cell phone was always on the right side. They found a brain tumor on the right side. So this is definitely Senator, a, t- a... Absolutely. And Senator Kennedy, the same situation. Right. Taking time bomb, isn't it? In fact, um, I think that's even the greatest risk of all, is, is people who are really busy. These are the heads of our corporations and businesses, political leadership, the people that are literally living on these things. Those are the ones at the highest risk and need to take mitigating um, precaution. And there's some things you can do. I mean, the simplest thing is a high-quality ear jack where you get the phone away from the head and away from the body. A speakerphone is even better where you're holding it literally a foot away from your mouth as you're talking on it. And, it's, of course, it's broadcasting the other half of the signal. But, you know, I mean, those of us who are walking through airports, we're already hearing half the conversation anyway. We might right. as well hear the whole thing. <laughs> right, <laughs> but, right. But those are... Those are things that we can do that make sense. Uh, when you use them in your, in your car, actually you're getting a stronger signal because to, to break out of the cage uh, that you, you are in when you're in a car, for that signal to break free, you're actually uh, is causing a signal boost, so even more energy is being pumped into the head. The same is true when you're inside of um, uh, uh, steel-framed office buildings and big, uh, massive structures where the signal has to be boosted in order to get uh, clear. The other thing I'll say is the portable... Home phones have the same general effect. So really? when you're not using a hard line, absolutely, because, in fact, they sometimes are even more um, destructive in the sense that they're, they're running in the same frequency ranges, but the problem is they're not bathed very well because you're always throwing it back on the charger, so the, the power handling of those units tends to be even more inefficient. Uh, they also, um, the newer phones don't even have antennas. Um, the, the older ones had antennas that were, the safer ones were cocked back at 45 degrees away from the head. So the signal right. would transit, um, uh, you know, the concentration of the signal would be away from the head. And that actually did reduce some of the uh, transfer of energy into the skull. But the, the other one is on the, on the uh, ear jack mechanisms. Often these are very cheaply made. And so what they end up doing is carrying energy, shunting energy directly into the ear, which can be more damaging. And that can be fixed very easily on any ear jack. All you need to do is get, um, you can get these at Radio Shack. They're like a little, they look like a little bead. And you see them on computer cables all the time. And, they, and they're a, a, a non-ferrous metal, uh, one that you can pick up with a magnet, and, or excuse me, a ferrous metal, one that you can pick up with a magnet. And what happens is, they put these around cabling to keep signals from uh, interfering as they go into electronic devices. But even simpler than that, the old ballpoint pens, the kind that used to click, they have a little yes. metal spring inside of them. If you take that metal spring and just coil it around the cable about three inches from where it enters the ear, it will actually cause the energy that's shunting up 
to dissipate before the energy ever enters the ear. And now you got a phone you can use safely. Just don't put it next to your kidneys or liver down on your waist belt because that's even softer tissue where the signal penetrates deeper. Set it on the chair next to you. Uh, get it away from the body um, a little bit. And, and it makes a huge difference. Even just a few inches away from the body can make a huge difference in terms of the effect uh, physiologically on individuals. Well, this is, a, a, as a matter of disclosure, I think uh, men probably have more of a problem than women because women usually carry their phones in their purse. But us men, we usually carry them myself. I make a big mistake to keep it in my pocket. And we right. know what's close to the pocket. That could affect uh, future generations, if you will. What does a man supposed to do if you have to put, put it on your belt or your pocket? Well, it's, you know, it is problematic. There is some um, shielding materials for microwave that you can get. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of them. Um, I don't carry that particular material, but there is a... Um, what are they called? They're an outfit in, in the UK, and I just it, it slips me at the moment. Power Watch, I believe, is the name of the organization. And they have um, some materials available that I believe you can utilize for that purpose. And they're in, they're in Great Britain. They do have U.S. distribution. But you can probably do a search under Power Watch, uh, and you'll find them. Great. Well, folks, it's so important that children under the age of 16 do not use cell phones. And I understand many parents are paranoid these days with crime and kidnappings. You want to have your, your children in touch with you at all times. But understand that the skull has not been developed to the point where the, the, the radiation could actually go inside your brain. Can you explain? Yeah, what essentially happens is it transfers directly into the brain creates issues like short-term memory loss, which for children, you know, we don't need that. We're having a hard enough time getting kids educated. The last right. thing we need is, is memory, um, memory losses. The other thing is, in the long run, these things, tumor formation is not a short-term event. It takes years. It takes as much as a decade before you start to see, um, see those symptoms show up, and then it's too late. And, and this is where kids... A lot of kids just text. I mean, I see these kids, they never even talk on the phones anymore. They're just playing with <laughs> yes. their fingers. And actually, it's probably the safer move. And, I, you know, I think what we will see is these devices are not going to go away. What, what will happen over time is we will great, gain a greater understanding um, in the mainstream medical community and the environmental community in a way that will address this problem they're not going away any more than cigarettes went away. But I think we can at least be aware. And then, in the case of cell phones, we can probably do some things uh, that we couldn't do with cigarettes. You know, once you inhale, you've already got the problem. But with a cell phone, you can re-engineer, which, which, as I said earlier, the industry is engaging in, to re continually reduce the amount of radiation entering the head. And I think that's, uh, that's where um, all of these technologies, as they advance, um, we just need to recognize, yep, things are going to change, things are going to advance, but let's be honest about it, let's let the public know, and let people make decisions based on the current science as the science continues to develop. I recently went to a wedding, and of course in weddings you have the, the children's tables, and each table had about 25 kids, and they were all, instead of talking to each other, they were just texting. Is that healthy, to be texting all the time? Doesn't that create a generation of zombies? Uh, you know, it's a problem, um, you know, mechanical interfaces as a, a way for people to socialize. 
uh, I, I think is a problem. Uh, these social networks are interesting, but people need face-to-face communication. Uh, those skills are extremely important to build in young children. Uh, social skills, the ability to deal with each other and, and not in some cryptic form uh, through text messages uh, or brief conversations on the phone. I mean, if, if we think about the quality of our conversations uh, and you wanted to, to, to rate them, uh, uh, emails and letters are the lowest form of communication in terms of really getting the message across. Uh, yes. Phone calls and, and verbal communication is a little bit higher, but face-to-face is the ultimate uh, communication because you're able to read uh, both consciously and subconsciously body language, uh, intonation. Uh, the voice sure, surely carries a great deal of information, but the entire presence of a person in person communication is far superior. More than that, physiologically, um, a couple of pointers on, on that. If you're trying to maintain a uh, romantic relationship via email and telephone, um, I can tell you um, it is nowhere near as effective as face-to-face. And I'm not talking about physical contact, but what happens when two people that are um, connected together in, in an emotional way look into each other's eyes, something happens within the brain of those individuals. Their, their brain waves actually begin to sync up. And, and when two people are in love and they hold that gaze uh, for a period of time, those brain waves will begin to sync up in, in harmony, which has a tremendous um, effect. And anyone who has ever been in love and has faced their, uh, the person that they care about, whether it's their parent or, or a significant other, understand what I'm saying at the moment. And, and this is a very important part of our communication. A lot of our communication happens at a level that we don't even consciously perceive. And that kind of communication cannot be maintained and relationships cannot be properly built via email, social networks on computers. Certainly they can augment your relationships because people are separated by distances, but face-to-face, that's what builds uh, relationships. Relationships are what the world is all about. Uh, and ultimately, those of us who have lived a little bit have recognized that it's friends, family that matter the most in the long run, and it's not cliche. It's the reality. In the tough times and the good times, uh, relationships aren't built on the end of a cell phone. And this is totally unrelated, but I, I hate the fact that it may take a disaster. I remember growing up, neighbors hardly talked to each other, but when there was a hurricane or the lights went out for today's, Everybody would go out and talk. So I wonder if all these children that are just texting with each other, if, you, if something happens, an electromagnetic pulse bomb blows up on top of their cities and gets rid of electricity for a year, it would change the, the way we interact with each other. But speaking of children, I heard you mention that some schools are forbidding Wi-Fi because of the potential right. hazard. Tell us more about that. That's the uh, German uh, health authorities came out with this some time ago, and their preliminary, again, preliminary studies began to show uh, problems in this area. You know, people talk about the cell phones, but cell towers uh, as well. Cell towers are often located on school grounds because school districts across the country and around the world, um, you know, are, are approached by cell phone companies. They're, they're reasonably scattered, you know, regionally. So that and they, they want money. Locate and they want money. The other places, churches. 
Uh, you'll see churches with cell towers because they get a little bit of extra cash flow. Uh, but these are where people congregate, and in, particularly in schools. Um, and so this is what sort of uh, excited a lot of this. Some of the early studies from the late 90s that were going on in Europe showed that even 1,500 meters away, you know, that's almost, uh, that's over a half a mile away, uh, were having effects on, um, on uh, genetic structures in, uh, in, in mice, in experiments that were done on mice. And I know people say, well, we're not mice. Well, genetically, there isn't a whole lot of difference. You know, it's like right. 99% of the DNA is the same, and a little bit, 1% might be the variables. So when you're affecting DNA structures, those are universal, and that's what they found uh, in those early European studies. And again, why the Europeans have, have tended to take the lead on these issues uh, as opposed to uh, us in the United States. And Certainly on healthcare issues in the United States, I think we're rated below Lithuania, uh, and yet we spend more money on it uh, than any other country. And it's because of the way we approach prevention and these precautionary principles when we start to deal with uh, environment and health. And this is most concerning because most people's homes now have Wi-Fi. And not only that, but what is it, 20% less uh, landlines in the United States now, meaning that people are using cell phones inside their houses too? Right. In fact, most young people don't even get um, uh, landlines anymore. Uh, here at my home, I don't have a, a wireless, but there are, when, when you click into my, my computer, you can see whose wireless signals are crossing my residence. There's yes. nine different wireless people with wireless around me that are invading my space. You know, and I resent that. I mean, the whole idea that, you know, I can keep my environment clear, but because nine of my neighbors, and I don't know how far away or how big their signal boosters are, but they come right into my living room. Now, how, how of course, our people are going to say, oh, just because you don't see it, is you're not breaking my, my, I'm not breaking your rights. But how can you prove that that is damaging to you when you have several neighbors uh, inflicting on your, uh, let's call it a piece of not having this frequency frequencies just crossing your living room. Well, I think that's going to be you know become an increasing issue. You know, right now telecommunications are regulated by the federal telecommunication laws, and which actually built in uh, the inability to go to local or state governments and complain. They don't have any regulatory authority. So, what has happened is they've been preempted from regulating the health effects related to electronic devices, and the FCC uh, and other federal regulatory agencies control that ball and have, have, under the Telecommunications Act passed a number of years ago, made sure of it. And so even in zoning uh, meetings where people contacted me from time to time because they're concerned about the cell tower going up next door, uh, the, the, the way that they've been successful is not attacking the signal but attacking um, the blight on their property values of having this big you know, tower next to them. But in terms of wireless, where you don't even see that, uh, we just have a long way to go uh, before we're going to see um, the kind of uh, cooperation between uh, health scientists uh, and political leadership. I mean, if you look at how much money is involved in telecommunications and the cell phone industry, over a billion people um, on this planet, in fact, a couple billion now actually have cell phones. In the third world, where uh, landlines are, are just a pain in the neck, I mean, you would not believe the horror stories of infrastructure around the world. Uh, and so cell phones, which are cheaper and easier to erect, 
uh, more readily available and, ch- and cheaper to, to uh, take advantage of. Uh, in the third world, it's exploding. Uh, and even in the poorest of nations, you'll see uh, uh, people using cell phones that are barely making $100, right. $200 a month in incomes. Right, right. Now, let's talk about the more nefarious applications. Roving wiretapping. Tell us what that uh, is. That's, a, that's great. It's, there's a couple of concepts with roving wiretaps. And, uh, you know, this is the idea that uh, with, with um, cell phones, if you have, say, a, and this was tested in, in the U.S. Supreme Court at one point in, in arresting uh, some mafiosos in New York, and they had their cell phones off and they were in a restaurant, and uh, you could activate the cell phone remotely to act as a microphone, and if, and if their cell phones were completely shielded, they could activate every phone in the restaurant to act as microphone and, and literally tap everyone, everyone uh, in the conversation. And it was upheld uh, as legal uh, with, with the subpoena power that they have and with the um, warrants that they were able to get, it was upheld as a valid way um, of, of tapping uh, communications. Roving wiretaps, the idea of just randomly looking at sort of who's talking to who and looking for key phrases, the computer systems now that are capable of scanning. Remember when they were installing all these switching systems into uh, AT&T switching stations and the Bush administration got caught and everybody was denying whatever they were doing? Well, what they were able to do is a a word... just a few key words, and these are um, used in a system called Echelon, which is used internationally, and then the NSA also has a domestic equivalent. And essentially, key words can be pulled out of every conversation that are happening on the planet electronically. Even voice prints, your voice, my voice, five to 20 seconds of our voice is sufficient to identify you as clearly as your fingerprint. And so when you hear these reports of, was it Osama bin Laden, you know, talking on the tape? Uh, the, the reality is they knew that within the first few minutes because it's, it's, as, it's as valid as a thumbprint. Uh, and they were not only got the information, but transmitted it to everybody within a couple of minutes because five to 20 seconds is all they need. And when you look at um, looking at that from a standpoint of national security, on the one hand, you can say, well, that's really important to us. On the other hand, they're, they're invading everyone's privacy simultaneously. One of the things that, that folks don't understand is that the recording of conversations, the keeping of that data and storing it in a way where it's not accessible necessarily, but it can be done very easily, and then later, say 10 years later, there's something that they get a warrant to go back and look at your records and look at your uh, digital footprint on the planet. Now they can reach back and capture all the data that they've ever collected. And data valence, the idea of looking at data for uh, security purposes, uh, has been um, the subject of, of the security industry in the country for some time. In fact, Total Awareness, a program initiated by the federal government, was designed to look at every electronic everything that is stored anywhere on anyone. This includes the system SINFIN, which is all financial transactions through any federally regulated banking institution, wire transfer service, um, uh, cross state lines, financial uh, data, as well as anything regulated, such as utilities, all your utilities, 
Um, any of these things, all of the data is collected, and you can get an instantaneous report on any individual. And you can tie that system into all of the medical records that are uh, automated through Social Security, tax records through IRS, um, state records dealing with financial transactions, corporate records. All of that data is housed in data banks, and sophisticated software has been developed to analyze everything about everyone. Doctor, you're such a plethora of information. I'm so glad you're touching these because in a few minutes I want to talk about the data mining operations that we're all familiar with. But ever since the Patriot Act was enacted into law, it seems that everyone says, but don't you want to be safe? Don't you want to be secure? It's almost mind control. People want security in lieu of their rights. And I always think of Benjamin Franklin, who said, those who sacrifice liberty for security deserve neither. That's what's happening to us now, Doctor. How can we reverse all these new draconian laws that are making us a police state? Well, this is really important. And, you know, we I wrote a book called Earth Rise and the Revolution, which was before 9-11. And all of the things that we've been touching on today um, so far have been mentioned there. Uh, after 9-11, we wrote the follow-on, Earth Rising 2, and dealt with sort of the repercussions of it. But this goes back to a paper, actually, that was written in 1980 by the U.S. Army War College, and it was called The Revolution in Military Affairs and Conflict Short of War. And it's a very important paper. Um, in fact, I have a, a copy of it on, um, uh, in a couple of different places, but you can find it. I think it's still on my website. If not, it's, it's in a, um, a supplementary disc in one of my videos, uh, the Earth Rising series which are on our website also. But, but what we looked at, you know, when we go back to all these issues, is essentially this, this stepping on personal privacy and liberty and the idea of the trade-off. And what the Revolution of Military Affairs said is that new technologies were emerging that would completely change the way in which wars were fought. Um, this revolution they equated to the introduction of gunpowder in the Middle Ages in Europe and the introduction of atomic weapons earlier in the last century. The kind of revolution that's, that's taking place today um, deals with a, a, a variety of privacy-related technologies as well as more invasive technologies. So this paper uh, dealt with all of that, and what it said is, that these technologies, now bear in mind, this is a U.S. Army War College training our Army officers for the future. In 1980, they said the, these technologies will violate the Constitution. They will violate American values. And so the argument they made in that paper was, how do we do this? And so the first argument they made is, well, if it's off of U.S. soil, then the Constitution doesn't apply. Now, if you think about how they applied uh, all of the uh, extraordinary rendition where they were grabbing people off the street and hauling them off to foreign countries, yes. this is the rationale the Bush administration actually used for I imposing everything offshore. Uh, the Patriot Act then allowed them to do everything onshore as well. But here's the point about that. When a serviceman or woman raises her right hand and swears allegiance to that Constitution, most of us expect that their value system, our value systems, travel with them no matter where they go on the planet. And the idea that some think tank in the U.S. Uh, Army War College is sitting around figuring out how to avoid the Constitution, they should be slapped down and slapped silly. The other thing that they said 
in this paper was the only way that the American public would accept this kind of wholesale change in the way wars are fought and the way domestic policing takes place is in an, is in an environment of fear based on international drug trafficking and international terrorism. Now, if you add up all the column inches in the newspapers and all of the airtime on terrorism in the last 10 years, it's huge amount of airtime. Now, how many people have died of international terrorism that are United States citizens in that 10 years, including 9-11, including all the people we've lost in the uh, in the wars, and, and no disrespect to those folks. I mean, we've probably lost ten to 15,000 people. According to Harvard uh, University, medical malpractice resulted in the same 10-year period in over a million American deaths, and yet we don't read a thing about that because that doesn't facilitate the political agenda that has brought these draconian um, systems in place. And the U.S. Army War College used exactly... That tool was in place when the first opportunity to execute, to bring these new systems in, and it was 9-11 that brought that opportunity to the federal government. They already had a plan on the shelf to, to circumvent the Constitution and violate the liberties of Americans. And even Bush, when he was president, said, oh, it's just a piece of paper. Well, to most right. of us who live and breathe in this country, it is not a piece of paper. And for everyone around the world that looks to the United States, they expect us to honor that Constitution as a framework. And the fact that the last administration violated it so boldly, and the fact that this administration has not unraveled the knot sufficiently to return the liberties and return the freedoms to Americans so that we can be an example to the rest of the world, not an imposing force on the rest of this planet. Absolutely, absolutely. And is there a way to reverse damages caused by the electromagnetic frequencies? And, and are there products out there that are not hoaxes? Because, you know, there are companies out there that that take advantage of people's vulnerabilities by offering products that are hoaxes. Is there something that can really work? You know, there's, a, there's some things that you can do, you know, that are, that are, first of all, to observe what's going on within your workspace, in, in your immediate environment. And there are some measurement tools. We, we carry one that's a very simple device. Um, and, and what it allows you to do is it just has an on and off switch and a volume control. And you can walk around your house and listen to the tones that it creates. And each tone is affiliated with a certain kind of radiation. Some come off of the uh, power plugs that you have on rechargeable devices. Some of them are with the hot spots in your home where uh, where these wireless systems, whether it's cell phones or something else, actually come into your immediate environment. In fact, if you have a cell phone, you have this device, turn your cell phone on and send and, and activate, activate a call and see what happens with that device. But what it will allow you to do is go through your house and like where you're sitting watching television in the evening. It, you might just need to move your chair a foot or two over a different direction to get out of those hot spots. And those are simple. You know, that's simple. You can make your own assessment. You don't have to go out and pay somebody a fortune to come in and give you an environmental assessment of electromagnetic fields. You can do it yourself. The, the other thing that I can say is a healthy system is a, is a better system. Your, your body, I'm talking about you. As, as an individual, most of these signals are very, very weak. Um, if you have a strong, uh, uh, healthy body, a lot of this is pretty much transparent. It's when you're already weakened that these signals have even a greater impact 
on individuals, or you've done things that expose you to greater levels of radiation uh, than the person next to you. We're not talking about radioactive radiation. We're talking about electromagnetic fields, the kinds of things generated by currents and by uh, TV, radio uh, type networks. Also, a lot of uh, this <clears throat> causes depression, stress, sexual dysfunction, yeah. among many other yeah. conditions. What do you suggest to address these conditions? This is um, essentially the same equation. You have to look at, you know, look at the effects of the devices you're using and moderate your behavior. If you use a cell phone because you need to, minimize the conversation length and get to a landline. That's a simple thing. In most cases, people can accomplish that. Um, you know, when you're in your car, don't use them, not just for the car safety factor, because more and more accidents are caused by cell phone users in cars because your concentration, your focus isn't on what you're doing. Keep those conversations brief and get to a landline. It's a simple, simple thing. You know, I've seen a lot of these um, different kinds of devices that people promote that, that they say, hey, this is the this is the cat's meow. This is going to solve all your problems. Ask them, not for testimonials, because those are as, as worthless as, a, as an American Indian treaty of the 1880s. Throw yes. that away. Don't, don't look at testimonials. Look at scientific third-party data that verifies the claims of the company. And if they don't have it, and a lot of small companies may not have it, but if they're making health-related claims, the law says they're supposed to have it. And, and that is the law. That's covered under FDA regulations for uh, devices. And so when people make claims about health and safety, you have a right to ask for the third-party data, and you should insist on it. Now, the company I mentioned earlier, PowerWatch in Great Britain, um, has had some great uh, things out there, and they do have third-party um, verification of some of these things. A very simple thing that people can do, if they're having sleep disorders, instead of taking drugs to accomplish a, a solution, oftentimes you're, you're in a hot spot within your room based on just the wiring that's there. And a simple thing to try um, is most home uh, electrical circuits, not the light switch, but at the power box, bedrooms tend to be on a separate fuse, a, a separate breaker. If you kill the breaker, you kill the power flow into that area when you're sleeping at night. Within a couple of nights, you should notice very rapidly a decrease um, in your uh, dis-ease in the evenings. You should be able to sleep better. You just got to remember to go click it on. And if you got an electric alarm clock, remember that's not going to work <laughs> to wake you up right. for work. But it's a very simple thing, and many people that I've suggested that to have tried it, and it solved their sleep disorder in a way that just took the field strength away from them. Sure, you still have other things coming into the environment, but those strong fields, those near fields, are eliminated, causing a more restful sleep. It also knocks out all the little transformers from rechargeable devices uh, in, in the same uh, living space, and that also helps uh, reduce that overall uh, EM electromagnetic uh, footprint that's in your in your living space when you're sleeping, and of course that takes care of about eight hours a day if you're getting a normal uh, a normal amount of sleep. Absolutely, and it's so right. I'm going to try this because I've I've been into other people's bedrooms, and you can hear a high pitched noise always coming from the devices, whether it's an alarm clock or whether it's an electronic device that's connected. Imagine what that could do to your sleeping patterns. That must have some right. some kind of effect, right? Absolutely. In fact, um, 
again, that, the little electro smog detector uh, that we carry uh, is often very useful in this in this application because when you have those electric clocks that are plugged into the wall and you come close to them with one of these devices, they go off the scale because it, it, it's, it's showing you that there's a field there that is going to interact with you physiologically. Now, the simpler solution in that instance, if you're not going to kill your breaker, is get the phone, I mean, get the clock moved away from the bed. I mean, you, it means you have to get up and turn off the alarm. Well, that's the idea anyway. So, you know, just, just think about where this stuff is in proximity uh, to your body as you sleep at night. And, and, and another thing that you can do to kind of look at it without any, any device, a simpler device, if you have a voltmeter that's fairly sensitive and you put the voltmeter in the middle of your bed and take a look at the reading you get, and you should have uh, a microvolt or a minimum voltage uh, showing up, then kill the breaker and look at the difference. And that'll tell you whether or not it's going to make a big difference for you. And that's something that if you've got a friend who's an electrician, they're going to have a voltmeter around that you can borrow or they can come over and, and do it for you. And then at least you know uh, whether or not that's, that's your potential cause of your sleep disorders. Right. Now, how far away are we from being bombarded with advertising, whether it's while we drive through a billboard or walking the aisles at the grocery store? Or even, I remember I had a, a college professor in the early 90s who told me in the near future, we're going to have interactive commercials or even women who are watching a TV series. They like a, a, a dress that somebody's wearing. They can touch the, the, the TV and get exactly where it's being sold, the price. But how far are we from this? Uh, I would say we're, we're, we're probably within the next five uh, to seven years, we're going to start to see more of that uh, coming in commercially. We, we put a lot of uh, stuff on uh, the website, earthpulse.com, which is my website. And you, you'll see a, a lot of the things that we've been talking about posted there. One of the things about the interactive nature of devices, uh, again, the cell phone is a personal identification device in a lot of, in, in a lot of respects. When, when, when these systems integrate, um, what will happen, and even smart cards, you know, for the discounts at the grocery store. Oh, yes. Um, okay, well, the, well, right now most of them are just like barcodes, but they're going to have smart cards, which are already on the market, they're already out there, where a person walks through the radio frequency detector, you know, that catches a, the thief on the way out, you know? Right, right. But you can also tell that customer John Smith has just come into the store. Now you're walking around the store, you're looking at displays, you're picking stuff up, you're setting it down. It's getting, it's also analyzing because everything you pick up, eventually they're going away from barcodes and they're going to microcircuits because they're very, very cheap. And instead of a barcode, which tells you this is a can of beans, it'll say this is the 99th can of beans produced on you know, November 10th, you know, 1907. Because it's be individualized, right? Okay, so so when everything gets those chips, and right now they're cheap enough and small enough where they're being they're being included, and that's why you go through the little magnetic thing that clears it. Right now they're a little strip, but they're getting smaller and cheaper. At some point, you'll be able to look at every preference a person makes as they go through the store, even if they don't buy something, which then is logged as part of that data valence, that profile building on an individual. The same is true in your cable television. You know, you're watching cable channels. 
tracking everything that you watch in your household and then selling that information to marketers who can then profile you and say, oh, this is a guy that buys, you know, green beans instead of corn, you know, whatever it is that they're able to profile. And then they're directing marketing at you. And where this becomes really important is politically, because you may have a candidate that you disagree with on nine out of ten issues. They're going to be able to figure out which is the issue you agree on, and that's the only message that will be directed towards you. Oh, that's Think incredible. That. And, and instead of open discussion, you're going to have totally sculpted discussion so that they have the highest probability of a favorable answer from you. This is manipulation. This is not persuasion. It will happen in marketing, whether they're selling you a box of soap or the next politician down the street. You know, we call the TV the subliminal tube, but if what you're saying is coming, it's no longer going to be subliminal. It's going to be right in your face. But in order for them to be able to do this, they need to have some kind of data mining activity and process. And speaking of data mining, you have Google, who rules email with Gmail, blogs with Blogspot, images with Picasa, videos with YouTube, and even telephone with Grand Central. Then you have Facebook, another data mining operation with over 300 million people now. Since all of these services are free, what a great hook to create the largest data mining operation in the world. What are your thoughts on the real purpose of these operations? Oh, I think that's exactly what's going on. And then the commercial value of that, when you can profile individuals down to this fine point, the effectiveness of it, take a look at the growth of the companies that are doing it. They have to have a revenue model, and the revenue model is the information they build that they get to sell for commercial interest and then target you as a consumer, and the results are phenomenal. I mean, the results are giving them higher and higher capacity. Now, the thing that's also happening is data storage is getting cheaper and cheaper, as we all know, and the ability and speed in which data can be stored is getting faster and faster. So the greater people aren't even so worried about even using all the data immediately. They know that as long as they have it stored over the long run, these systems will eventually, the economic cross in those curves will happen where then they can mine it even more cost-effectively. Governments are using this for security, so-called security purposes or insecurity purposes. Uh, you know, they, the, the idea that commercial interests would use this should be clear to everyone. I mean, their interests have always been geared that way. But then they're laying another layer on this, and that is the, the knowledge that we've gained in neurosciences um, that tell us a lot about sort of the inner workings of how the brain functions and how you can penetrate uh, the shell um, how you can enter um, a space uh, in, and influence the decision-making process in a very profound way. Whether you're using television, computer networks, TV, or radio, you can carry a signal that will allow a person to fall into almost a light trance-like state where the no overt suggestions being made by advertisers anchor in a profound way. I mean, think about Think about your spouse or your children watching a television show uh, at the end of a school day or at the end of a work day where they're already relaxed, and then you try to get their attention. Hey, hey, hey. They're zombies. They don't hear you. They're totally focused and absorbed. And what has happened is their brain waves have slowed, and they're right at the threshold of almost a trance-like state. And it can be, it can be implemented. It can be imposed by just the flicker rate of the images on the screen. If they're, in in the way you can tell whether there's a rhythmic flicker is turn the lights off in the room, don't look at the television, 
turn around and look at the white wall behind you, and you'll see the light flickering there. What, right. what happens is a frequency-following uh, response, an FFR, which is understood by anyone doing graduate studies in psychology, knows this phenomena. And what it does is the advertisers know this too. They spend millions producing these ads. So what happens is they're giving you the normal overt words, the ones you hear, there's no subliminals involved, but the flicker rate of the screen is keeping you in this sort of light trance-like state where the information just goes in without much scrutiny and you accept it as the gospel truth. And for most people that sit on the fence on most issues or don't really have sort of the the, the uh, analytical desire to look at things in any deep way can be influenced extremely easily by these types of technologies as they're being applied, and there is no regulation that says they can't be applied. And that makes you wonder why the person who's reading the news at 6 p.m. behind the desk is called the anchor. But how about insurance companies? People think of the great accomplishment of sequencing our DNA. All it takes is for an insurance company to obtain this information to start denying coverage for predisposed conditions. Have they started using this data? Actually, um, any opportunity that they get to collect the data, data is collected. And that's, that's the simple part of it. You know, the only group that's protected from uh, using that data or from, um, uh, you know, as a, as a group, it was done by executive order under Bill Clinton, and it was federal employees that were protected from the misuse of their DNA. Um, now, think about that. If it was good enough for federal employees, it ought to be Why not for us? Else. Right. But it's your, it's your blueprint. Now, here's how that can be misused beyond just denial of insurance. Say you're the billionaire who needs a new liver, and oh, you yes. want to find out who the most compatible body on the planets are. Ugh. Now, that's, it's... You know, that's pretty sinister, but if you're the billionaire, would you do it? There's a lot of people that would. Here's the problem. You have a knife that can cut through a, an apple pie or go directly through your heart. So it's duality everywhere. But let's take the grocery store again or the drugstore. Someone who buys antidepressants, doesn't that go into a database? Let's say that person wants to buy life insurance, a life insurance policy. Can the insurance tap into this information and make their decision based on the purchasing habits or someone who buys cigarettes or liquor, etc.? Well, you sign a release. You know, when you go and apply for insurance, you sign a release that gives them the right to look at your records. And you better pay close attention to what all you're giving them permission to do because they have the right to collect the data. They can still decline you on your insurance, but, but they don't have to get rid of the data. And so the next time you try to do something, it pops up again. Let's, let's use a real simple example of how this data can be used. You apply for auto insurance, something relatively benign, and right. you tell the insurance company, well, you drive, you know, a thousand miles a month, and you're driving car X, and you're the primary driver, and then they look at your gasoline purchases, and they say, hey, that doesn't add up. <laughs> right. What are you doing with all that gasoline? We're going to rate you higher. You're going to pay more for your insurance because you lied to them, or you misled them, or you didn't know, you didn't really think about it too much, and, but how many miles you drive has to do with your risk. Another place where that comes in is the electronics on cars. They can monitor every mile you drive with the basic systems now being built in, the GPS systems, you know, on, on star, star, all the safety cell. But, heck, every mile you take. In fact, there was a rental company 
that when you signed the rental agreement, they did this in New Jersey, they stopped doing it a few years back, but they did it for a very brief amount of time. You sign the thing where you agree to obey the laws and there's penalties. If you're speeding, you know, if you're doing this or you're doing that, you know, you get penalties. And so they're tracking people and the guy who had done his, you know, his debit card to get his car uh, rented comes back and he finds out he has nothing left on his debit card because they've been debiting him every time he went over the speed limit, every Every time he went across the state line, which they told him not to do, they charge him more money. And, uh, and of course, he screamed bloody murder and created a lot of bad press, and the company quit doing it. But that's coming. They're even talking about taxing you by the mile. Instead of just collecting because now you got electric cars, they can't get a gas tax out of an electric car. The they carbon tax. tax. By the mile for every mile you drive. And that's another trend that we've talked about for some time. And some states have actually had that debate in their state legislatures. It hasn't made it into law yet, but it's coming. You know, the, I remember there's a, a stretch of road in Florida called Alligator Alley in, in the Everglades, and I believe it's about 50 miles, and there's a toll road at the beginning and a toll road in the end. If you arrived earlier than they expect on destination, they fine you for speeding because they know you were speeding. So they're tracking you. It's been years. But I remember when I was in the corporate world, they were hiring practices years ago that included using credit reports to determine the trustworthiness and level of responsibility of an applicant by just looking at their payment record, and that's perfectly legal. What other ways are there are they using with this convergence of all these sources? Well, I, I think um, again, pay very close attention to to what what rights you're giving up, like credit cards. When you when you get these little notices about the terms and conditions. The use of the data for their affiliates and, and the ability for them to sell that data for people who want to sell you something. You know, credit card companies make money two ways. One is in the outrageous interest they charge you, and the other is when, when you buy something at a merchant, that merchant pays 1% to 4%, sometimes even more, percent data. of the sale to the credit card company. Now, think yes. about paying 4% in one month. If you annualize that, it's 48% a year plus the 18 or 20% they're grabbing from you. Now, then you take the data and they go and sell it <laughs> to right. someone else for more money. And, you know, the, and these guys, you know, just legislated huge changes in the bankruptcy laws and other laws to cover their bets. Uh, well, they're making money hand over fist. And you've got to remember the banks to issue those credits. You know, they talk about money supply. They used to report money supply, M1, M2, M3, M4, and so on. And M1 was cash, you know. And then it's M2, got into checks and other kinds of negotiable instruments, and they get to various grades of negotiable instruments. The real money supply isn't in cash and isn't what the government creates. It's a credit card company because yes. they're owned by the banks. The banks used to have a 1 to 9 or 1 to 10 ratio cash on hand for loans out. Now it's like 1 to 30, and because of the crisis that that created by deregulation of the banking industry in the 80s and 90s under Reagan and Bush, what we now have is a catastrophe because here's their motivation. You put a dollar in the bank, they loan out 30, they collect on credit cards, which is a form of a loan, it's bank money, it's that kind of money, they loan it out at 18% plus the fees they collect what a racket. What a racket. And those are the guys we're bailing out. Thanks to uh, President Woodrow Wilson for signing the Federal Reserve Act at the, at the uh, creature of Jekyll Island. But that's a different story. Uh, 
And also, let's talk about internet regulation, a good way to censor. Have you looked into Senate Bill S-773, Cybersecurity Act of 2009, which gives the president the ability to disconnect private computers from the internet in case of emergency? You know, this, uh, I haven't looked at the act, but this is, again, the, the same kind of overreach. You know, the kind of law we need on the Internet is that none of the data can be collected and saved for over yes. six months without your expressed permission, not in some fine print, but in clear language that is one paragraph long that a second grader can read. And the, the reality is data belongs to us. You know, free, privacy, when the Constitution was, was written, you know, it sort of began and ended at your doorway to your house. Today, it's your digital doorway that holds the greatest amount of information about individuals. The digital doorway needs to be returned to individuals where that information cannot be kept, cannot be managed without our expressed permission. And, and, and in those situations, it ought to be able to be withdrawn immediately and the databases deleted. The fact that you get a discount card from the store should be illegal to track those transactions any longer than, than six months, which is normally the time in which the law allows you to make a claim if somebody's been uh, messed around on a purchase or has, has some, or there's some direct fraud involved where they could maintain the data longer. You know, if you've cheated the store with a bad card or a bad check, sure, keep the data, you know, until it's resolved. But in most cases, the only excuse for keeping the data is they want that property. That's your property, not their property. It's your right. It's your information. It belongs to you individually. And that kind of thinking is what we need to see legislated, that the data about us belongs to us, not the person that collected it. And that said, Dr. Begich, we have to take our one and only intermission. And before I, I, I get to the break, folks, all you need to do is turn on your TV. That's one of the biggest mind control tools they have. We're going to be talking about mind control, harp. And if you thought the transition from analog signal to digital was just because they wanted you to have a better picture on your very nice flat screen TV, please think again. Doctor, what was the real reason behind the transition from analog to digital, in your opinion? And let's get your answer on the other side. How do we get in touch with your work, Dr. Baggage? Uh, you can contact us, again, at EarthPulse, E-A-R-T-H-P-U-L-S-E, EarthPulse.com. And we have a uh, toll-free number in the U.S. It's 888-690-1277. Um, internationally, you can reach us at 1-907-249-9111. We're here with Dr. Nick Begich. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to The Veritas show. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
This is Dr. Raunilena Lukanen-Kilde and you're listening to The Veritas Show. <laughs> 